Right. Today I'm joined by TJ Van Gerven. And uh, TJ is a fee-only financial planner, CFP. TJ and I actually opened and started our RAs at the same time in 2018. I've known each other for a long time. Yeah. And uh, it's been awesome to watch TJ evolve, you know, learn as we both learned, right? As you start something, you're like, hey, I know all this stuff. And then you just figure it out as you go that hmm, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe I'm going to tweak this and, and tweak that. But uh, TJ owns Modern Wealth Builders or MWB and is focused on equity compensated professionals. So talking to folks that have, you know, highly concentrated equity comp plans or, you know, a lot of their compensations come from their, their stock of a company. And we'll chat on that. We'll chat on other things. Of course, we're going to chat on Bitcoin. And I was told from TJ, which was a, you know, a teaser before we clicked record that I'll be pleasantly surprised. So excited to, to get into that. TJ, thank you for the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And I am excited to talk to you about Bitcoin because, you know, I know how much of a supporter you've been and you've educated me over the years on some things. And so I've definitely had a maturation on how I think about it. Um, I definitely still have some, you know, concerns from like a planning perspective, but um, well, we'll get into it, but you know, I've definitely learned about self custody, and that was a big game changer for me. So I'll be interested to talk about that with you. Sweet, um, excited about it, and I kind of like, well, let's not bury the lead. Let's just skip all the other stuff. Let's jump right there. But yeah, <laughs> um, what's been the, like the, the biggest? So again, the audience here's ad- advisors from that standpoint. But what's been the biggest thing with MWB that you've learned over the the last handful of years and coming up on? It's been over five. Yeah, right? I coming up on five in October. I got officially launched October 10th. Um, so man, so much, so much to learn. I mean, stuff that I knew in theory, but that I had to learn for myself, just understanding, you know, how behavioral, you know, people are with their decision making, you know, how people view money so differently. And it's largely dependent on their upbringing, you know, how they were taught about money growing up. And so just, you know, having the humility to understand that, you know, people have all kinds of preconceived notions about money. Um, and then my view is not necessarily the only view, um, but I try to educate people as best I can on kind of what I think the trade-offs are to different situations. And then just understanding the why behind financial planning. You know, I get caught up a lot on the technical aspects of like, hey, how can we optimize this and save you money on taxes and be more efficient and have a better investment strategy? But like ultimately what matters is, you know, why you want to use your resources. And so I think the thing that I've come around to is, um, what is the point? And the point is that money is a tool and it's just like, Hey, how can we use this tool to make your life better? Um, so that's the biggest takeaway for me. Um, people don't always care about, you know, all the technical stuff we know. Uh, it's really about like, how is that going to make their life better? You know? <laughs> so that, that's yeah. my biggest takeaway. Well, and bringing money into the conversation and that's partially why, like I'm such a, a Bitcoin bull and I've had these conversations and shouted from the rooftop, as we were talking about earlier, from a Bitcoin perspective is, you know, you think about money and it derives so many of our decisions and there, there is an emotional element to it. And there are, you know, memories and family dynamics that come into play with money. And so, so many different people have this, you know, maybe understanding, misunderstanding, lack of understanding of money. How do you, if you were to describe money, and I'm sure because you have conversations with clients, like how do you, what is this thing that we talk about all the time? As financial sure. advisors, one of the big things I've noticed is sometimes we don't go to like the core of it, which is like, what is money and what is the purpose of this thing? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think it ties well to Bitcoin is, uh, to me, it's a storage of value. Um, and it's a way that, you know, uh, you know, obviously you can inherit wealth and things like that, but I think most wealth is, is earned, you know, via adding value to the marketplace. So it's a means of exchange, you know, so we don't have to barter 
right? Because we used to barter for things and that's just not as efficient as having a currency, right? And so you take that value that you've provided to the market and then you can transfer that into wealth and in, in via assets, right? So you can purchase real estate or ownership in a company or build ownership in a company. So I just, it's a means of exchange and it's its own language and it can be used to enhance your life if you're strategic about it. So kind of that's how I view money. It's not necessarily, you know, some people look at it just for accumulation purposes. Um, but for me, it's like, how can I actually use it? So yeah. that's how I look at it. Love that. What's uh? so we'll, we'll, we'll table the Bitcoin discussion. I always like this question though. Like what's a non-consensus view that maybe you've come to hold or have always held that maybe other, you know, CFPs wouldn't necessarily agree with or say, you know, TJ, that's kind of strange. Like why, why do you, why do you believe that? Is there anything out there that you feel like is a little bit non-consensus or do you feel like for the most part, you agree with most of your peers on stuff? I agree with most of my peers on stuff. I think the thing that I've had to shift my mindset on is, you know, I have a bit of a scarcity mindset from my own kind of upbringing with money. And so I think it's much better to focus on increasing your earning potential than focusing on, you know, trying to cut expenses. Obviously, we want to be frugal and and manage our money wisely and and spend with intention. But I just think that we kind of uh, focus too much on saving pennies and not, you know, earning dollars. So uh, I just think that whenever, whenever we can think about the big picture and not waste our time on kind of these smaller wins and focus on the bigger wins, like you know, if we can negotiate, you know, better salaries or, um, you know, be more efficient with our taxes, like these things are going to actually move the needle much more than being concerned with the, you know, coffee purchase, things like that. So yeah. I don't know if that's non-consensus, but it just, that, that would be in my mind. Well, yeah. No, I think there's a lot of people that will focus on, you know, there's a money coach or it's budgeting and like you get that right, you get everything else right. It's like, well, you can do all the things perfectly. And if there's not enough coming in the door and you're in an area that's expensive, like you can optimize to the to the nines and still be in a tough spot. It's like maybe you just need to find a way to make a, a change on how your income is derived. Absolutely. And I think just people, you know, seeing the actual like math behind these things and, and seeing it play out is it's just incredibly hard to get ahead nowadays <laughs> and partially because of inflation, things like that. And so, and wealth is taxed so differently than earned income. And so you just have to be very diligent about always increasing your income and then taking that income and making sure that you are translating that into assets, because as you know, like that's the only, um, you know, potential you have to basically hold on to your hard-earned wealth uh, because inflation can whittle that away pretty quickly. So, you know, that would be my biggest takeaway is just people kind of underestimate how hard it can be to get ahead. And so it's better to focus on the big wins than than the granular stuff sometimes. So you talked about a term that I think has basically um, been used um, and abused, but it's inflation, right? So this term in your mind, <clears throat> how do you talk with the clients about inflation? What is inflation? Um, because I think, again, another term similar to like money, inflation is is nebulous and or misunderstood. And I guess, is inflation good? Is, is yeah. another question there. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, inflation is complicated. I think like traditional economic theory says that inflation, a little bit of inflation is good because that incentivizes you to invest, right? And spend capital um, to create, you know, wealth and, and grow the purchasing power of your wealth. Obviously, if inflation is, you know, too high and we can debate what too high is and that creates issues for earners right because if you think about it if you have wealth whether it's in the form of real estate stocks or let's say bitcoin 
um, then you know that should hopefully retain its wealth because it is a finite resource um, or it's cash flow producing, so it can it can keep up with inflation. But if you are just like an earner and you have no ability to you know translate that into assets, uh, you might not notice it. But you know if you don't get a raise, or if you, even if you do get a raise year over year, you're not actually increasing your purchasing power, how much you can purchase with your with your income. So it's important to look at money uh, in terms of like real returns. So I, I, I try to educate clients on like, hey, if um, you know, if you're even if you're getting four percent, you know, interest in your saving high yield savings account, uh, if inflation is four percent, then you're actually getting nothing, right? So don't trick yourself into thinking that you're getting getting better returns than you are. It's it's important to understand the real return. Yeah, nominal versus real is something that hopefully people learned a little bit about, but still is a tricky concept. Um, yeah, I'm not going to derail us with uh, is inflation good for you know uh, a well functioning economy because right. again it just gets into uh, different pieces. I think the idea of inflation and I will always hold this for you is theft. Like, why should someone be able to create it? Because if you and I, um, you know, Martha's Vineyard started printing up dollar bills and inflating the money supply, we go to prison. Um, sure, other people do it. It's called central banking. Sure. And it's just goofy to think that in a economy made up of individuals that all have different needs, right? That look at money different ways that are trying to solve for different things that you can manage a complex system and know what the right amount of, you know, inflation is right for that. I just think that's silly. For um, sure. I think that we have this like, uh, you know, godlike power where it agreed. And I think something. there needs to be a counterbalance to that. I kind of take the middle road and maybe we're going to get into this, but yeah. I think it's good to have that counterbalance. I do think that central banks, you know, if you view it from an optimistic standpoint that they are trying to help, you know, uh, economies avoid like these huge pitfalls. But like you said, if they have too much power, then it can obviously be abused. Right. So, um, it's just hard to know. I, you know, I don't want to get into like conspiracy type theory territory. I just don't know enough. So (laughs) we can go anywhere. (laughs) I just don't know enough. I mean, like, you know, is inflation like insidious and that it's like purposely used to kind of devalue people's wealth or or earning power, you know, the kind of this, um, class type system. Um, it's definitely up for question in my mind, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, maybe our kids or grandkids will look back uh, at central banking and this idea of inflation and, and say like, why would anyone say yes to that? Sure. Um, if you look at the way that the central bank came to be and some of the way that the legislation was passed, it's, it, I, I do think it's insidious. It's not conspiracy theories. It's just the way the history and the way that things came together. And a lot of times central banks are there to, you know, they are the firefighter, but they also are the arsonist where they started right. the fire and then they're coming to put it out. And it's like, right. well, shoot, why don't we just solve the the first problem? And then we don't have to have them come back and do all these you yeah. know, things that actually, you know, make it more fragile and, and certainly benefit. Um, like you talked about, like if I already own the assets that I want to own, if I already own the house, if I already own the equities and I already own the things that I want. Yeah. Inflation's good. I'm getting richer off of that. But if I'm right. an earner trying to get into that, Right. It gets harder and harder and you feel like you're on the hamster wheel. And I think a lot of people, yes. especially uh, for, you know, the solo or smaller RIA, that's a lot of, you know, the, the clientele. It's the, the millennial generation. There's a lot of people making a lot of money and they still feel like, man, I just can't mm-hmm. afford to do those things. Absolutely. And really intelligent, busting their hump. It's not the, you know, baby boomer thing of all millennials are lazy. I don't believe <laughs> that. I think it's crap. I know way too many examples of people that aren't. Um, there are lazy millennials, right? We know those people, we might be friends with those people, but sure. uh, 
there's there's so many examples of it's just it is very very different um and and what's been that big change and what's happened and why has the wealth divide grown so much Um, right and yeah there's it's not conspiracy it's just like let's look at the facts and evaluate what's happened and there's been some things that have happened and um, there's no question that affordability is much worse than it was you know decades before so yep um so I, I want to get to it now. What's the, what's the stance on, on Bitcoin? You talked about, you know, your views there have evolved. You talked about self-custody, which is something that I'm super passionate about. And, and, and I think it's important and it's definitely a different concept for, I think, advisors, but also clients because they are used to trusting a third party to kind of do it all for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's hear how maybe the, the Bitcoin views have evolved and sure. I guess where, where are you at today with that? Sure. I mean, I'll give you, I mean, truthfully, like I've been following Bitcoin since realistically since like 2015, I was definitely skeptical for a long time. Um, mostly because, you know, I do buy into the idea of like cash flow producing and, you know, the idea of how do you evaluate um, an investment, you know, discounted cash flows, that kind of thing. So that is why I was always apprehensive from an investment standpoint. Um, I also, I think the problem with Bitcoin is that it got conflated with cryptocurrency. Yep. And there was a lot of BS, I would say, cryptocurrency outside of Bitcoin. To me, I'm like highly, highly, still very skeptical on. I don't know if it really has much utility, uh, especially from a long-term investment standpoint. So I think that's an issue for a lot of people is they conflate cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Um, I also think that people don't understand self-custody and they don't understand the idea of owning, having direct ownership over an asset where it's not, like you said, like there's not an intermediary that's keeping you between transactions and things like that. So I think the big change for me was um, learning about the technology, understanding that it's functioned as designed for a substantial period of time now. And the fundamentals of the technology haven't changed. And um, when you understand the power of self-custody, where you own it direct, like not on an exchange and learning about that, then you start to understand the utility of, okay, I am have a storage of value. Yes, the price is fluctuating, but the underlying fundamentals of how much you own of that asset is not changing. It cannot be altered by a third party, right? Like an institute, like a central bank. So I totally see the utility of being able to hold on to value you've created and bring into the future. Um, so I definitely think it's a viable asset long-term. Yeah. Love that. So one of the things you talked about, and I think it's a, a normal pushback for advisors is like, well, I get the investment thesis of yield, cash flowing businesses, they're spinning off these different things. And I would love to kind of chat through that a little bit. And I don't know if that'll be, as clear as I want to be with with the way to think about it, but it's like, okay, I have a business, it creates revenue, and it spits off cash flow, and I'm an equity owner, and I get a portion of that growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that growth, all the fundamental like foundational level is still in U.S. dollars. So we'll we'll not we'll exclude international companies and other currencies. Like, yes, it can get much more complex, but let's just say it's all in dollars. Sure. Well, if those dollars are then getting created for free um, by others. And getting diluted, you know, that's basically taking some of the earnings that I have from that company. And so, right. like, you have to continue to earn yield and have that cash flow to offset what's kind of getting, you know, leaked out the back door. And so, I True. think ultimately, one of the things that would be really powerful 
is if you have businesses that are on, let's just call it sound money. We don't have to call it Bitcoin. Let's just say this ability for money that can't be created out of thin air. And right. historically, we've had you know thousands of years where you know that was gold, let's say. So from there, you can start to go back to a discounted cash flow and actually value businesses. So there's a really big value investor guy that started his whole career, right, with the idea of studying Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, right, named Preston Pish, and then he became a huge Bitcoin bull and really just does his, you know, Bitcoin fundamentals podcast, which is awesome for anyone to to check out. But he basically said, I can't value companies because the measuring stick that I'm measuring them in in dollars is always changing, right? Like if I if I try to, we'll use the example. If I'm trying to build a a building and a foot one day is 12 inches and then it's eight inches and then it's, you know, 24 inches. And then there's contractors coming through and they're using different measurements. Uh, try to see how that building comes together. It won't work. Sure. That's a right? fair, yeah. And so that is kind of the point where we've got that everything is so distorted. And yes, there's cash flow. Yes, there's these different things, but it's really hard to sit there as a business and as an operator and say, I'm going to plan in the future when you don't know what the decisions are going to be made by the powers that be that actually control the way that the money supply works. Sure. Look at look at some of the banks that were told, hey, we're not going to raise interest rates. And you can go back and look at Jay Powell and others. And they basically said, hey, we're not going to raise interest rates. And this was back in 2021. And then interest rates have risen as fast as they've ever have. And you saw banks have major issues because they bought, you know, treasuries right. to to right. have excess, you know, with their excess the uh, cash flows to, to have something. And then all of a sudden you get upside down and you've lost so much of that that value. And yeah. um, that's really hard for businesses to 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 say, hey, we're generating a lot of cash, but that cash is getting devalued. So what do we do? Well, maybe we have to go make acquisitions. Well, are those acquisitions good? No, they just have to do something because the the money's right. burning a hole in their pocket. Sure. Okay, we can return it via dividends to to you know the shareholders. That's good. They still have to go do something with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's trying to get to the point, and I, I think it's almost tied a little bit with Bitcoin to the intrinsic value piece, which intrinsic value is, you know, back to the eye of the beholder. You know, you and I are in our normal day-to-day life and someone offers us a water bottle or a Rolls Royce, we're going to pick the Rolls Royce, right? We know we can turn around and sell that for more. But if we're in the desert, haven't drank water in three days, uh, I don't care that there's a Rolls Royce, right? Sitting right. there in the, the sand, I want the water. And so everyone's going to make an economic decision based on what their preference is at that time. And so the idea that there's ever intrinsic value in something is is goofy. Um, the value is in the eye of the individual making the action. So True. Um, similar thing, like the base layer is money. And so if the money is distorted, everything above that is distorted. So that's where I think trying yeah. to get to the idea of sound money or Bitcoin is just trying to say, hey, if we fix this fundamental layer here, everything built on top of it will be much better. And so you can have amazing businesses that you can analyze and you can actually get back to you know, the active part of investing. And I think that's partially why everyone's gone to an index approach because you've not been rewarded for active investing for a long time because it's, again, fundamentally broken. So just buy the index. Right. And it's more of a flows game. But anyways. Right. No, I think that's all fair. I mean, I guess the idea with the business, right, that yes, they're the dollars or the whatever currency they're earning are being devalued, but the idea is they can raise their prices to compensate for that, right? So hopefully they can keep up with that devaluation. Um, I think that the way, so I guess from a, just a purely investment standpoint, you know, I, I still compare Bitcoin to gold. I don't know if you like that or not, but 
<laughs> so like if I look at gold's market cap and I look at Bitcoin's market cap and I'm like, I think it's like a 25x difference currently around there. So, you know, obviously let's say it took 30 years to get to gold's market cap. That's still a good, if you do the annualized return, obviously that's still a good return. But then it's like, okay, once it gets to like a fully adopted, you know, storage of value, then how do you, how do you value that as an investment, right? From, because you, here's the thing too, if I'm thinking from a planning perspective, I still think like a fiat currency makes sense or something because unless the price stabilizes enough, right, you still need something that's, and I know the value is devaluing over time, but you still need something that's not going super volatile to be able to transact. And so like, yes, it's this counterweight, it's this checks and balance system for central banks, but I think they're both important. And and then, you know, um, yeah, so basically I would just say, I think they both serve a role. I'm just, again, I'm, I think that the, there's, we're still early in that Bitcoin run, but then once it reaches like full adoption, then how do you, you know, evaluate it as an investment? Yeah. So I love that. And this is such a fun conversation, which is why I love having, you know, conversations with, you know, peers that are, you know, CFPs thinking about it from a planning perspective. So we've never lived through a period where we've seen an asset monetize. So it goes from like collectible, which was early on. So you talked about Bitcoin in 2015. Shoot, I didn't even know what Bitcoin was till 2017, right? So like <clears throat> the people that were early back in 2010, 2011, it's much more of a collectible thing. Um, there's a picture out, I think it was like a World of Warcraft, like, hey, fourth place gets 25 Bitcoin, first place gets like a hundred bucks. Like, you know, way back in the day, like the third right. place person, if they would have held that Bitcoin, obviously, you know, made a ton, but no one's holding Bitcoin. And there's right. rare, rare, rare situations. It's the same thing when people are like, well, if you bought $10,000 worth of Amazon in, you know, 1990, whatever, like, right. it's like no one did that and held it forever. No. And so it's very, 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 very rare. But you go collectible store of value, which is the gold comparison. Then mm -hmm. it goes medium of exchange and then unit of account. And like, that's the way an asset has monetized in the past. If you look at, you know, history, the way that, you know, different things, whether it was, you know, agri beads, which were kind of the slave trade beads that were there or gold or silver or like salt, all these different things historically, like there's ways where they've had some sort of, you know, utility or, or purpose, but they have had a monetary premium attached to it. Well, Bitcoin is a hundred percent monetary premium. There's nothing else that it's going to do. It's not going to be used in medical devices, right? right? Or conductors like gold can be used for different things. No one's going to wear Bitcoin as, you know, you're not giving your significant other. You, you can wear your ledger around your neck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you don't, don't do that, but you could, I guess. <laughs> um, the, uh, but the idea of it going through phases, it has to go through those phases. It can't go like from zero to a hundred and just be done. And I think that's an unrealistic expectation on, you know, advisors and just anyone's part where they're like, well, Bitcoin can't be money because it's not money today. It's like, well, it can be money and it is money. It's just in the process of getting there. And you said it, it's early. And I totally yeah. agree with that. And you make a good point on gold. And I think one of the issues that I have, and I'm not a gold bug, never have been. I don't think advisors understand money because they don't understand gold. And a lot of them don't like gold. And it's like, well, if we go back to when GLD launches an ETF and pair it to bonds, it's been a better diversifier to a 60-40 portfolio, stocks and gold or stocks and bonds, better performance, yeah. lower drawdowns, all these different things through today. It's like gold has actually done pretty darn well. And yet most advisors hate it. And I don't get why they hate it. And I think part of it is they just don't understand what its purpose has been historically. And you know, it's this barbarous relic. It doesn't have cash flow, right? 
yeah. it's like it's not supposed to do anything. It's supposed to be there as, you know, the the offset to things. And um ultimately Bitcoin getting to just gold's market cap to me is like only a store of value. It's still a really good Bitcoin price, but to me that's Bitcoin failing. And maybe that's all it does. Right? But that's yeah. probably six hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin, which is yeah, hell right. of a return from here. Right. Um, I think that's a I think that is a low, low um bar for Bitcoin to get there. Yeah. Because Bitcoin is money and ultimately what is the total addressable market of money? It's the entire world, it's the global reserve currency. That's true. And and that the ability of fiat currency was it improved upon gold because gold is hard to ship around and how do I yep. verify it when I'm here and hey have this chunk of metal, how do I hunk it off and send it to TJ in Boston when I'm in Indiana? Can't yep. do it. I'm not going to hire a Brinks truck to go send you a coin. Like I'm not going to shove it in the mail because it's going to get stolen. Well, with Bitcoin, you know, it 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 basically. I, I think about it this way. You know, I've always described like an HSA as like okay, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. If they had a kid and had the best of both of parents, it's yeah. an HSA. HSAs are awesome. They're underutilized. I know advisors love them. I like them. Bitcoin is basically a fiat currency in gold. Have a kid, and it's the best of both of them. Fiat currency, you can zip it around. You can do all kinds of things. It's great yep. from that standpoint, but it doesn't hold value. Gold holds value, hard to move around. Move them together, simplistically, that's what Bitcoin does. So it takes Absolutely. the features of both and is a huge improvement. And ultimately, our entire lives, everything is built on incentives. And so if you make life easier and the incentive is there where I can go to work, create value, and I can just hold this money mm -hmm. and it appreciates and makes life easier for me, I can yes. buy more stuff with it. That is a financial planner's dream. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and, I guess the thing that I would push back on from a planning perspective is like the range of outcomes, right? The volatility, right? If you are uh, using your investment assets to create an income stream, it's hard to say if you're throwing it now. I guess if you're throwing into a traditional portfolio, there could be diversification benefits. But I guess I would be like apprehensive about like, okay, what is like, how does that impact your withdrawal rate kind of thing? Yeah. You know. So there's a really good tool that kind of shows how it pairs. So it's from Swan Bitcoin. It's called Nakamoto Portfolio. So they have like a portfolio analytics where you can put in all kinds of different portfolios, a one, a five, a three and a half, whatever percentage allocation of Bitcoin. It's all historical, right? Which right. is history isn't necessarily indicative of what the future holds. So again, right. full disclosure there, but you know, everyone uses bonds in their portfolio and doesn't have a negative real rate of return. But if we look at where we're at today, with inflation and where bond yields are, it's still a negative real return. And I don't see anyone showing that bonds are negative real returning for you know the next 10 years. So like we can yeah. go on, on tangents there, but the future is always unknown. We don't know for sure. Right. Um, but you talked about it earlier. What we do know is like Bitcoin is unchanging. I don't know what happens with Tim Cook at Apple. Is he going to get replaced by you know Isaiah Douglas who doesn't know anything about Apple's products and run it into the ground? Like there's a real risk there from an operation standpoint where with Bitcoin, because it is decentralized and distributed and no one controls it, we can feel really confident in the properties that it has today. We'll have properties into the future. And if we look at what it's done, it yeah. will likely monetize similar into the future. And so you can run a range of outcomes. And I'm not saying that you need to have a compound annual growth rate of 75%, which is kind of what it's done. Right. But let's say it's even at a, a 20% or 25 and significantly you know, reduced, which I actually think for the first time, the law of diminishing returns is different with Bitcoin because it's a scarce asset where, you know, 93% of it's already out in the marketplace and it's still so small from a user base Yeah, that that actually will explode and get bigger in the future, which just blows my simple little mind, you know, a lot of times. But 
yeah, you have to run a range of outcomes as an advisor. And I think most advisors, and I'm sure you are included, it's like any financial plan is going to be wrong. We want to be directionally correct and make sure that at the end of the day that you're not in a point where you're broke and living in a Maytag box down by the river eating cat food. Yeah. Ultimately, right? And so I think it's more of a position sizing thing of like, how do we minimize regret and where are we at and what can we afford to have that is in a, a different asset? And as they get more comfortable and as they learn more, they're going to allocate more to Bitcoin, but it's fine to start with something small because a little bit does go a long way. And so that's the way that I would kind of try to position it to someone is, okay, there's X amount of millionaires in the United States. If I'm a millionaire today, how much Bitcoin do I need to own to secure that in the 21 million? So whatever it is divided by 21 million, what do I need to have? Um, Yeah, you need to have about a third of a Bitcoin if you want to be a millionaire in the United States moving forward. So a third of a Bitcoin is 10 grand today. If I have a million dollars and I allocate 10 grand, am I going to be bankrupt if that goes to zero? Right, right. So I think it's all just trying to, you know, allocate based on comfort level. And yes, it's more or less, maybe you don't have to rebalance. And I think that's the part where I would push back on the the piece with advisors is small allocation and then just let it accrue over time. If it's, if, if I'm correct with where I think it goes, instead of like trimming that allocation, just let it grow. Right. So maybe it goes from 1%. Well, to what if you are 5%. in a decumulation period and you're using your investment assets? Because you have to worry about the volatility too. It's not, I know yeah. long term it's a great investment, yeah. but if you're, if you're doing withdrawals, I guess it depends on the, I don't know what the correlation is historically for like, to correlation, like yeah, correlation to like the NASDAQ has been somewhere between like 0.5 because a lot of people say it's just a, you know, it's a proxy to tech stocks. Yep. Um, a five year, a three year, like a one year, and it's been like 0.5 to 0.3. Okay. So it's really not, it's still uncorrelated technically. Yep. Um, but there's going to be periods where it's risk on assets go all to one, right? So it's Yeah, gonna, it, it feels like, like the last couple of years has been fairly correlated. Um, yeah, but that, um, that is the last couple of years as far as uh, um, looking at correlation. Periods. It is 0.5 the last couple yeah. of years? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, which surprised me, candidly, when I ran it because I had yeah. someone on Twitter tell me, you know, it's, it's a proxy to tech stocks. And I was like, well, let's run the numbers, right? And that's always my answer. Like, well, let's look at what the data says, which that's yeah. one of the things I appreciate about you. Where you're like, sometimes I, let's look at what the math says. Yeah, no, I, I'm i a truth seeker, man. Like yeah. I, I'm willing to change my mind. Like you said, I was skeptical. And then once I learned about the power of self-custody and that, that then I changed my mind. Um, you know, I will say though, there is like career risk, right? With totally um, as a financial yeah. planner. So if it's much easier to do the status quo then go out of your way to, because obviously from a regulation standpoint, now you're opening yourself up for more issues. Um, if somebody, you know, doesn't understand, like, and maybe this is where the role of an exchange comes in, right? Or custodian for Bitcoin, but it's like most people are not going to be comfortable with self-custody, like the normal person, unless they've been really educated on it. And maybe you, you have a different opinion there, but it took me a while and I'm somebody who, is obviously like into personal more, finance, more, you know, tech, so. more tech forward as well. Right. So yeah, there are, yes, there are trade-offs, right? There's fully custodial, which is what most people are familiar with, with, you know, Fidelity or Schwab or, you know, interactive brokers. Hey, they hold my the equities. Like that's where they're housed. Great. So you can have that, you know, relationship as well within Bitcoin. The beautiful thing is you don't have to. And so there's collaborative yeah. custody where you can say, I'm going to hold this. I'm going to hold, you know, two of the keys. So only I can move it. But the oh crap protection is maybe my advisor holds it or maybe another company holds it. And if my dog eats it or I lose it, they can sign and I can still move my funds to something else. So that's a nice kind of in between. And then you have, you know, your own 
self-custody where, yeah, there is going to be a, a point of personal responsibility. And I think personal responsibility is important. And even if you work with a financial advisor at some point, you have to take responsibility for yourself. An advisor can't do everything for you. And you know that. I mean, we've had clients, I'm sure, similar where it's like, I can't do the thing for you. I will help support you. I can put you in the right spots. I can give you the information. But at the end of the day, the person has to want to do it. And I think that's where the education from the financial advisor comes in of saying like, hey, here's all the options. I'm going to distill it down to this option, this option, this option. This is why you would pick one over the other. And what you pick today doesn't have to be what you pick forever. We can grow and change. And yeah, I don't think that you know you go from, I don't own any Bitcoin to own a bunch of Bitcoin to self-custody in weeks. It's going to take time. For and so sure. I think that process is what an advisor can bring to the table. And from a career risk perspective, it's like, do you want to do what's right for your clients or do you want to stay um, and earn a fee from that client? And I think that's the question I would ask anyone. Is it what's right or are you trying to make sure that they'll continue to pay you? That's fair. That's fair. So I, yeah. You have to get that conviction too. And you can't borrow like Isaiah's conviction or TJ's conviction. And I also learned I can't have clients borrow my conviction it's going to take them their own time. And so you can't push them on it. You need well, to- that's why it. I don't go out of my way. I do, like like I said, as much as I believe in it, and I, I am a owner, like I am an owner of Bitcoin, I self-custody, but I don't know if I'm at the point, if somebody has an interest in it and they think it, you know, and they want it to be part of their portfolio, then let's talk about what the right amount is. Like you said, educating them. I'm not at the point where I'm comfortable. And maybe this is a career risk thing. Um, you know, advocating for it. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah, um, and that's that's fine. I I would I guess the way I would ask it is if it's good enough for you, right? right this is why isn't it good enough for clients? Because right, if it's helpful to you and you find hey, there's a value here. There's a reason why TJ owns it. That's there's true. Probably a reason why it could be beneficial and helpful for a client. And maybe yeah. it's just hey, have you? What do you think about Bitcoin? Like that's what I started in 2020 doing with clients. Of I'm just going to ask them. A, have you heard about it? What do you think about it? And if they say, I think it's ridiculous and I would never own it, you know what? I'm not going to jam it down their throat and say, you know what? Uh, Isaiah knows what's best for you, Mr. and Mrs. Yep. Client. You're going to own this thing come hell or high water. But for a lot of people, they want to, they're like, I don't know anything about it. They're going to say like, TJ, tell me, like, what is this thing? Yeah, that's and fair. Say, like, well, Maybe I heard I about FTX and crypto and it's a scam. And you're like, well, there's a little difference because they're yeah. going to conflate the two. Right. And so I, I, I think you are similar to a lot of advisors and probably more out on the knowledge on obviously Bitcoin if you're taking self-custody, where it's just put it on an agenda or just ask and reach out to people. And that would be my encouragement because I would be curious and we'll have to do this. We'll follow back up at some point and be like, hey, TJ, did you do that? And then what was the response? Are they going to say, I can't believe you bring that up. I thought you were a financial professional. Right. Uh, I'm going to report you. The SEC doesn't hate that you talk about Bitcoin. We had an audit when I um, was at was a owner of a or an RIA and we had talked about owning Bitcoin, taking self custody, and they didn't care. I mean, we told them the story of well, before BlockFi went, you know, belly up, helping clients take self custody, you know, months in advance. I didn't know anything was up at the time, but I just had an uneasy feeling. And I was like, hey, I don't think what they're doing is right. Let's take self custody. And the SEC was like, that's cool. That's great. Uh, how did you think about it? And, and, you know, did you tell them what the options were? And they're like, yeah, we told them what they could do and they decided that was best for them. They yeah. don't care. It's like, do you care about your clients? And the answer for most advisors is absolutely, without a doubt, you want what's best for them. Yeah. And I, I know that you feel the same way. So it's just, I think it's just opening up to say, I'm open for these conversations. And if you yeah. want to have them, cool. And if you want to shoot them down and say, I have zero interest, then you don't push them. No, for sure. And I'm not working with high net worth folks because they're typically in their 30s and they're high earners, but they're not high net worth. So 
in which fairness, I will say like, yeah, I will say like, there's kind of like a hierarchy for things I would like to see accomplished first when we're just talking about getting organized and, you know, you know, using up certain types of accounts and just building good fundamentals. And so I kind of like to work up to that more speculative asset class, right? So, you know, for people that have accomplished those hierarchy, then I am more willing to be like, okay, now let's talk about the benefits of potentially having this uncorrelated asset. Um, I, I would prefer that you hold it in a taxable account, um, you know, things like that so that you can tax loss harvest, you know, if needed. Um, so there's just steps, I guess, that I would sure. look for. I think that's fair. Uh, one of the things when you work with the younger clients, they probably are talking about wanting to buy a house, let's say. That's a goal. Yeah. How do you save for that goal into the future? It's tricky. Sure. I mean, I've I felt that. And so you can look at Bitcoin historically and say, if we're trying to buy a house in X amount of years, maybe part of that is, again, it's a position sizing thing. But if you look at, and there's a site called Priced in Bitcoin 21, you know, the, the median US house in I think 2015 was like 42 Bitcoin. And then today it's 17. So like what has happened to the US dollar value of those houses? They've gone up, right? And in certain areas, yeah. Up a lot more, and so like Bitcoin allows for those longer financial goals to be cheaper. And so for me, it's like one of those things where I agree with you. I like it in a taxable account first, but I think a Roth IRA also is a really good option for owning Bitcoin because you yeah. don't have RMDs, you don't have to worry about it, and it is a long, long duration asset that's going to be held in there anyways. Like you want growth, you want things that are in there that are going to grow into the future. So True. why not own Bitcoin, which is volatile, but you know I'm not touching it for years and years anyways. That's fair. I guess with the Roth IRA, you're still tying yourself to an intermediary then though, right? Like you're not getting the utility of the yeah, so control. You would, yeah. So it would definitely be, I would look at that as being much more of the investment lens of right. of, the, of the Bitcoin piece. Um, there are companies out there that will allow you to still take a, like a collaborative custody where you can still hold the keys and see it on chain to where you can actually not have to trust an intermediary to hold it. Um, there are companies that, you know, work with qualified custodians where it's a trust company where it's individually named and you have a lot more clarity. You can see, Hey, my funds are here type of thing. So there are some good options out there. We can, you know, chat. I, yeah. It's I, I, the ones that I would talk about would be like unchained capital. Now it's a little bit more expensive to set it up, but that would be the collaborative custody option. Swan Bitcoin. I work for Swan Bitcoin. They have, uh, you know, IRA products with, uh, Bitco, which is a, you know, one of the best custodians out there. Again, I'm with you. I want self-custody. There's, I think anybody within kind of the Bitcoin ecosystem is going to preach that, that that's the most important thing to do. But right. yeah, with a with a Roth, there are ways to to get some exposure and it's still, you know, it's a trade-off where you could talk to a client with what they feel. And some of them, especially if they're not ready for self-custody, that might be the best way to do it. No, for Roth sure. Anyways. And I mean, well, that as an advisor perspective, right? Yeah. Like I think that makes a lot more sense for people um, because- Especially too, like if you are advising on them on that, you kind of want that. I mean, that's why I manage money on a discretionary basis. The value I, I position it as is like, hey, uh, we're going to come up with rules. You're going to understand how your money's managed, but I'm executing those rules for you. And it's also like a layer between, you know, I'm so ho hopefully objective about your money. And, you know, if there, if you do have a time period where you're feeling like you need to make a change and you're feeling panicked, then we're going to have a conversation first because you don't necessarily have direct control over that. Um, which I guess goes against like the idea of you know self custody, but I mean, if you believe in the the role of a trusted advisor and having yeah. a layer between you and your money, sure. and you know, it's not like you don't have access to it. It's just that it's keeping you from making, you know, maybe a poor mistake. Yeah, irrational decision for sure. Right, which I we're all we can all do. It's not like I'm not 
you know, it's just that I, it's not my money. So I'm looking at it purely through the lens of a financial planner advisor who is trying to say, okay, what is the rational decision here? You know, so. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I, I still think there's a ton of value to advisors getting Bitcoin, which is why a, I do the podcast, why the advice on Bitcoin, like CE stuff is out there and why I talk about it so darn much. And the other thing I want to throw in there is if I'm a financial advisor and I have a business, my business re- revenue, let's say if it's AUM based, mm-hmm. all traditional assets coming in. Meb mm-hmm. Faber's talked about this, where you're leveraged to the US stock market probably X amount of times. True. Your personal account should own a hell of a lot more Bitcoin than owning VTI or you know, Apple <laughs> stock because it is a diversification against that business, right? If your income is coming in from traditional system. Yep. Get me stuff that's outside the system. So I think one of the biggest Bitcoin holders should be financial advisors because it truly is an offset to your current revenue stream in your income in your business. So that's that's fair. That I don't charge about. AUM fees, so I guess I don't yeah. think of it that way. Yeah, but, and I know a lot of younger, you know, kind of uh, solo advisors are changing that model. But I'm thinking like the legacy yeah. financial advisor that is a one percent firm. No, absolutely, your revenues dude, are you directly tied to hell of a lot you know, more a sixty forty portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Literally, you're like, hey, bonds and stocks drive my comp, my business and my app. And, yeah. and you probably hold it in your personal accounts too. Right. Hopefully right. you're investing. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing too, is an advisor probably wants to invest in a similar, similar way, but if, yeah. 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 Well, and I think that's just where the, the, I think all clients should be asking an advisor like, hey, what do you do personally? And For sure. that's important that you can say, well, this is why I do it because my situation is slightly different, right? But yeah. these are the things I believe in. Now, if you're saying and preaching one thing and doing something completely different, I have issues with that. And I do know that it's happened a couple of times that I don't like, but yeah, it's a story for another I day. I mean, it happens a lot, especially in like a product-driven advisor environment. You know, yeah. you're you're advocating for a loaded mutual fund, but then you're using VTI, right? So like, yeah. Um, no, I think that's incredibly important for sure. What, what, uh, what would be a tool that you would love to see for Bitcoin conversations with clients that would make you feel more comfortable? Is there a tool or a, a magic yeah. wish that would make life easier? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I think that, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you, you bring up fair points. And this is something I've thought about a lot. Because like you said, I do have an allocation to Bitcoin. If it's good enough for me, why isn't it good enough for my clients? I guess, you know, it ha- it's still a short time horizon. Obviously, I mean, I do think it's long enough now where it's like the risk was much greater, right? In 2015, then that's why you were compensated totally um, because yes. there's more adoption now, right? So, um, I guess, yeah, my apprehension is always the like uh volatility of it within a portfolio, but I guess if it's non correlated, then that helps. Um, it's a good question, I don't really know. Um, I think it just some way to educate them better on the different ways to own it. Um, I guess if there was, you know, a way to own it on the custodian, custodial platform, right? I use Altruist as like my primary custodian. So that that would make me, obviously I would like to be able to do it for them. Um, so I think that's a barrier for advisors if there, if there was, you know, an ETF, although I'm, I'm sure there's downsides to that, but if you're just looking for exposure. So I yeah. don't really know. <laughs> yeah, for anyone that hasn't listened to the episode I did with Kane um, McGookin on the ETF, uh, kind of dug into to that, like why it doesn't make as much sense and why you want to own spot and all that other stuff. So okay, um, they can check that listen. out. Um, but it is, 
Yeah, good points. And there's some things I think that are being built, some things that are out there, and some things that are still to be um, constructed. It's definitely because, like, can certainly user risk. If I'm telling if I'm telling a client to self custody, like that scares me a lot because it's like unless they've really properly been educated on it, obviously they can make a mistake, and you know that could reflect on me. Um, and so, uh, if it's not within my control, that that is definitely a barrier for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, And that's where I think the education of, A, as an advisor, you've done it, right? Self-custody, do it yourself, learn how to do these things, and then educate and go help. And for a lot of people, it's like, you can do these things remote. You can virtually, you can send resources, you can jump on a call and like walk them through it. Um, But yeah, then it's like, hey, if you take self-custody, you need to put a backup. You need to write down your Here's the thing too, right? If you're having a Bitcoin custodian, right? The thing that's also concerning about that, so like, let's say they're not comfortable self custody, right? And they're on the custodian or whatever. Is that am I using the right term for that Bitcoin yeah. custodian? Yep. Yep. So you know, then you're concerned about the financial health of the custodian, right? Because it's not a like protected security or insured security, right? So now there's a liability there, and that's where fi- I think that yeah, the advisor needs to do their due diligence on that specific custodian. And there are some custodians that have insurance and there are some things that are okay. out there not again that's not for me being like more like a the hardcore bitcoin guy I'm like who cares about that crap but it is right. important for advisors to be like yeah you need to do some due diligence and i think there's some tools in some companies out there that are doing it the right way and trying to to build up a relationship where they can you know say hey this is why you would want to have your assets here but i think the collaborative custody model or self custody is where it needs to go so I don't want to advocate like, yeah, just find a good custodian and trust them, right? It'll be great. Yeah. It's like, no, like you probably need to just work with and, and build out some relationships on these other pieces that help because, you know, I'll give props to, you know, companies that are doing the collaborative custody model where it feels like you're logging into a fidelity and you can see your account balance, you can see all this stuff. And it's just like, oh, then I have these keys or these signing devices that I just go through a prompted process to move funds if I want to, because you're probably not going to move your Bitcoin a ton anyways for these people no, it's yeah. going to be a longer term hold for sure um and then as it you know grows from that standpoint maybe then there is the the medium exchange piece where they can start to learn how to actually use it and i have a super big interest in the circular economy and using it in you know more day-to-day paying for goods and services but that that's down the road for yep. the vast vast majority of u.s uh customers yeah, and then but the problem with that too is like and then it's also the tax reporting stuff right that gets complicated sure so you know, I'm I'm always trying to simplify things yep. and not create more problems. Not problems, it. but more yeah. things come tax time, right? Sure. I and, and I think that's fair. Um there's lots of things with taxes that could be simplified that would be great, but <laughs> such is such is the world. Um I've asked you a ton of questions. Any questions for me or any concerns you have on Bitcoin just in general or things that you want to fire back? I mean, we've kind of done uh, so it I guess it, obviously like obviously it's customized based on your, you know tolerance capacity for risk all that stuff but i guess if you're thinking like generally speaking what what is too high an allocation to bitcoin or what is an appropriate for a starting point like what in your opinion what does that look like concentrated position yeah so i think bitcoin conviction grows as you hold it and you learn about it so for most people they're gonna buy a little bit they're gonna look at it and they're gonna say you know i'm gonna focus on what the performance of this little thing does in the broader context of my entire portfolio and, you know, if history uh, rhymes, I think it'll be the best performing asset that they have over a five and 10 year period that they're going to say like, huh, 
maybe I want more of an allocation. And it's going to take them a little bit of time. And there's going to go through periods where it's FOMO and they're like, oh my gosh, I need a ton more. Going mm-hmm. back to the emotional side, the advisor can be like, hey, we said this allocation. We don't need to sell it, but we're not going to go buy a bunch more at the all-time high, right? Let's just wait. And then there's going to be the, the peak of despair, right? This, this, yeah. this valley of sorrow of like, oh my gosh, I should have sold it all when it was X price and now it's down. Yeah. Um, you can be like, hey, you know what? Uh, it's probably time if we wanted to add a little bit, we could. Or like we said, we'll just hold it and that's fine. Like we don't have to do anything here. But if you add a you know a 1% allocation, it doesn't change anything. So 60-40 portfolio, I'll use that because it's kind of the baseline. If you add a 5% allocation to Bitcoin and you rebalance it annually, you go back to 2015, it's basically um, you know two and a half times from a return perspective and it's added very little um, from a sharp ratio or max drawdown, two or 3% total. So maybe it from 23% max drawdown to 25 most clients can handle that. And the, the risk return ratio on that is right. massive to the upside. Right. So it's one of those things where, you know, if you like the nerdy, nitty gritty metrics, Sorrentino, Sharp, all these different things that measure volatility, uh, Bitcoin actually wins and does much better. If you don't like those, and you're like, well, who cares? I just want diversification. It does provide a completely diversified uh, option for returns because it's going to do its own thing and march by you know, its own beat. Right, right. And, and, and thinking about like, hey, it's too new. I don't allocate to stuff. I only do stocks and bonds. Bitcoin's traded more hours than the S&P 500 because the S&P only trades Monday through Friday during market trading hours. Bitcoin's been around since Over that time frame? Yeah. Bitcoin, yeah, since the inception of the S&P 500 index. So Bitcoin's oh, really? traded more hours because 365, 24-7 for over 14 years. What's the inception of S&P 500? Uh, it's back in the 70s. Really? It's traded yeah. more hours just since, because yep. it was what? So 2022, I think is when it switched. It's like 100 and I have, I have a stat in the course. I go through it. Um, but That's yeah. an interesting stat. I like that. Yeah. So my pushback there is all the time where people will talk about efficient markets. I don't necessarily believe that all markets are efficient, but if you believe markets are efficient and Bitcoin is a a zero, it should go to zero, right? Because it's trading more hours, there's more price discovery. Uh, if it's a Ponzi or something that doesn't work, it should go to zero. Right. Um, and it hasn't. So like, why is that? There must be some validity to this thing that it's still yeah. around. And there's a, a law and I'm spacing on it right now, where basically the, the, the more that something has been in, in place, it's more likely to be in place in the future. Is it Lindy effect? I think that's what it's. Yes, it's correct. Effect. Yep. Yeah. Um, but to me, like that's an important element. And like Bitcoin, there's just so many things that over time that have changed and built conviction for me. But again, I will caution anyone, you can't take your conviction and apply it to someone else. And so you no. just got to go with it and say, this is what the math shows us. This is why an allocation here might make sense. Clients ultimately are coming to an advisor to make life easier, simplify things. And so if you can educate, you can inform, you can show them how to do all this stuff. That makes a really sticky relationship. They really want you to, to be there to help. And it shouldn't be, hey, well, TJ is the only person that knows how to use this Bitcoin thing, so we're going to work with him forever. Um, you don't want that. But what you do want is someone to remember that, hey, they, I think as a client, they're going to know. You probably stuck, 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 you can't speak, stuck your neck out to talk about mm-hmm. Bitcoin, but maybe it wasn't the you know, in vogue thing. And I think once the Bitcoin ETF from BlackRock comes out, which will come out at some point, all of a sudden these opinions on Bitcoin will change. Yeah. All of a sudden, a yeah. lot more people are, oh, you know, we'll throw a 5% allocation. Yeah, and we're just going to have a big impact. ETF, right? And I think a lot of people are going to realize, hey, the ETF is like, um, it's a diluted version of owning Bitcoin. So like, let's own the real thing. Let's not yep. get the, the knockoff, right? 
you walk yep. around New York City, do you want the knockoff bags on the street or you want to get the real thing? It's like, let's go get the real thing. We don't need For the sure. knockoff. For sure. So, yeah, I, like I, I, uh, I'm going to follow up with you and just be like, hey, have you, have you just thrown it out there? Like, what do you think about Bitcoin? I think that's the easiest way to start is ask people what they think about Bitcoin or what questions they have. And from there, let them drive the discussion. And it doesn't have to lead to this is how you buy it. It could just lead to education and chatting and, and getting to know like what their views are. And if they are interested, it can be like, hey, we'll chat another time on this. But I do appreciate your thoughts on there's a there's a there's a step process. It's not like, hey, we talk about Bitcoin in the first meeting, right? You got to get yeah. these things done before we get there. And I love that. And I think that's smart. And that's the way that a financial planner should approach the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess the one last question I would ask is, okay, what if somebody does have enough assets based on just traditional asset classes to um, maintain like financial independence, let's say, based on their spending needs? What is there? Why would you potentially compromise that, I guess, with, you know, with Bitcoin allocation, given that it's a smaller time frame? Although, I guess it's not as smaller because of the 24-7 trading. Yeah. So let's say older individual retired, they'll never run out of money. I think you're right. making a ton of assumptions that can't necessarily be held uh, true, right? How are, they how have are you- They have 99% Monte Carlo. Yeah. So 99% Monte Carlo. So to me, if they go from 99 to 97 and now they have Bitcoin, they've actually insulated themselves and are much more likely to actually achieve that. Because let's say we go into, you know, call it Jack's and I agree, you know, we go into, let's say hyperinflation, which I know people will be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I can't believe that guy would say hyperinflation. Let's say all of a sudden their assets devalue significantly. Something breaks, something happens. Um, and they don't own any Bitcoin. And now Bitcoin is the thing. And I hate using that lens to have like, hey, well, it's doomsday and like all this other stuff. But to me, like you insulate a lot more from that risk that you currently don't have. Because let's say you have 100% of your assets in a traditional financial system. Right. The financial system goes through a period of destruction and rebirth. Right. Um, is that still a 99%? And that's there's that's no point. way a Monte Carlo is ever going to be able to run that and get that. That is real world experience. And if you can prevent a client from feeling like, oh my gosh, the world's going to end because you know the institution that held their funds is going under or getting bought by someone else and there's all this unknown. It's like, hey, well, we have this Bitcoin stuff over here. You're good for right now. We have X amount of years of what you need because of this asset has grown over time. That person is thanking you till the day that they die. Yeah. And I think that's the way that I would look at it is if you, you've already won the race, right? I'm not saying go, you know, hog wild and buy all the Bitcoin you can with everything and go 50% allocation, but shoot, you can get a, you know, one to 5% and you're probably good. And so if you're a millionaire already run the math and say, how much do I need to hold to say, if this Bitcoin thing does run, how can I maintain that if Bitcoin takes over? And it's probably or something happens to traditional markets. Yeah, and you can't access your money. At least you have direct access to some. Totally, yeah. And I get that most advisors aren't going to want to have that conversation because it's going to freak out clients and have them ask other questions. And I get that. And you don't have to position it that way. But I would just position it. Hey, if we've already won, this is just an insulation and insurance against any risks that could possibly pop up with your main stuff. Yeah. That's certainly the appeal for me. I do like knowing that I have, you know, a ledger. 24 7, 365. Yeah, yeah it's like, right. hey, you know, obviously it's not like a, a total apocalyptic environment, but like, yeah. let's just say more of like a technological apocalypse. You know, you can have, you can take it, transport it with you. And then once you do regain access to, you know, the internet, um, you can kind of retain your, your money. 
Yeah. Where, uh, as we kind of close, any final thoughts, remarks? How do people get connected with you? Where are you, where are you yeah, at? Yeah, so I, um, best way to reach me, modernwealthbuilders.com. I do a podcast, Do More With Your Money, um, just talking about kind of planning uh, topics. I do like a 10-minute monologue once a week on a different planning topic. A lot of it's around equity compensation, tax planning, and just what I'm seeing kind of in day-to-day life with clients. So that's my main content. And then uh, take, taking a hiatus from social media. So it's really just the podcast and LinkedIn. Uh, I'll probably get back on Twitter at some point, but modernwealthbuilders.com, you can find everything about me. Cool. TJ, thank you for uh, a great conversation. It was a ton of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.